Good morning, everyone. I invite you to open your Bibles and turn to the book of 1 Peter. We're going to be in 1 Peter chapter 4. Uh, we're going to be focusing our attention this morning on verse 1 of chapter 4, although I'll read through verse 6 this morning for the broader context. And as we read through these verses this morning, we're going to see a contrast, which we see often throughout the New Testament, which is a contrast between living in the flesh and living in the Spirit. Now, when we talk about these two concepts, the concept of living in the flesh and living in the Spirit, there's a lot of different dynamics that are at play. And at one level, what we're talking about when we say, when the Bible says living in the flesh or being in the flesh merely means living as a human being. We are those who live inside a physical body. We are created as physical beings. And to live in the flesh is to live as a human being with our life power, our life source coming from the fact that we are physical creatures. To live in the Spirit, then, means that we are also spiritual creatures. God created us physical, but He also created us spiritual. But by the fact of our fall into sin, the spiritual life of the natural man has been killed. It is dead, and we must be born again by the Spirit to live to the Spirit. And therefore, in a very real way, as we live in the flesh, those who have been born again also live to the Spirit. And as we come to our passage this morning, we see that Peter is talking to those who remain in the flesh. We continue to live in our flesh, but we must live by the power of the Spirit that we might live to God. So let us hear now the word of the Lord. Since therefore Christ suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves with the same way of thinking, for whoever has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin, so as to live for the rest of the time in the flesh, no longer for human passions, but for the will of God. For the time that is past suffices for doing what the Gentiles want to do, living in sensuality, passions, drunkenness, orgies, drinking parties, and lawless idolatry. With respect to this, they are surprised when you do not join them in the same flood of debauchery, and they malign you. But they will give account to Him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. For this is why the gospel was preached even to those who are dead, that though judged in the flesh the way people are, they might live in the Spirit the way God does. This is God's holy word for us, His people. Let us go to Him now in prayer. Almighty God, we come to You now at this time. And we pray, O Lord, that You would open our eyes that we might understand Your Word. For though we continue to live in the flesh, we pray, O God, that we would not live to the flesh, but to the Spirit. We pray, O God, that You would empower us now at this time to not only hear Your Word, but to be changed by it and to live according to Your Word 
both now and forevermore. We pray it in Christ's holy name. Amen. Choosing the right tool for the job is essential for success. This past winter, I bought myself a wood-splitting maul. For those of you who don't know what that is, it's an eight-pound wedge on the end of a handle. You see, a friend of mine had given me a load of unsplit wood to use for firewood. And I thought that my regular axe would do the job nicely. I was wrong. This wet wood just laughed at my attempts to split it. Over and over again, I whacked at these logs until my back was sore and my pride was diminished as my son licked on and thought, Dad, why can't you do this? But then I bought my maul and everything changed. With one swing, I split the biggest logs. I got so excited after splitting all that wood, I went out into the forest in the back of my house and found more logs to split. And I think that we have all found ourselves in situations where we are using the wrong tool and we get frustrated. We're using a butter knife to loosen a screw. The book, a spine of a book to hammer a nail in. The glow of your cell phone to find your way through the darkness. Even though you have an app on your cell phone as a flashlight. (laughs) One time my dad was on an airplane that was delayed for mechanical issues and the tech came down the aisle of the airplane with a roll of duct tape. I can't imagine that was the right tool to fix the airplane. In our passage for this morning, the Apostle Peter is continuing his teaching on how we as Christians are to live in the midst of a non-Christian world. And in particular, how we who have been born again into the kingdom of God, those who are exiles now, how we are to fight against the power and the temptations of the flesh and of sin. So often in our struggle with sin, we can feel like we have the wrong tool for the job. We feel like we have brought a knife to a gunfight, as it were. We feel like we are employing bayonet charges when the enemy has tanks. We struggle against sin, we struggle against the flesh, and we wonder why we're not making any progress towards holiness. You see, every Christian should desire holiness in their lives. We should all desire to be like our Heavenly Father. Yet so often we struggle to make progress towards this goal of holiness, this goal of ending sin and growing in righteousness. However, what we find in our text for this morning is that if we would overcome the power of sin in our lives, we must hand over our worthless weapons and hold on to the one thing by which sin has been defeated. The cross of Jesus Christ. The first thing that we see in our verse for this morning is that to overcome the power of sin in our lives, every Christian must know that Christ suffered in the flesh. Look down at the first phrase there in verse 1. We read, Since therefore Christ suffered in the flesh. 
As we begin this verse, we see these words, since and therefore. And they signal to us that Peter is explaining a foundational truth that the rest of his argument is going to be based upon. If we would be freed from the power of sin in our lives, we must begin with this foundational truth, Christ suffered in the flesh. In this phrase, Christ suffered in the flesh, is a treasure trove of spiritual truth and power in our fight against sin. The first thing that we see is that Christ, the Son of God, was in the flesh. That is, the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. To understand how we overcome the power of the flesh, we must first understand that God took on human flesh. We must understand that God joined Himself to the human race, not only in a mystical or spiritual way, but in a physical way. Christ took on human flesh that derived from a real human family. He did not just appear to be a human being. Jesus was a human being, joined to the human race through a miraculous conception and birth. And through our shared humanity, through our shared flesh, we are united to Christ and He is united to us. He is truly our brother. The next thing that we see is that Christ not only took on flesh, but He suffered in the flesh. His suffering in the flesh means that though He was without sin, He endured the curse. Of sin. While his sinless perfection gave him the right to opt out of suffering if he so chose, but he rather chose to suffer in the flesh, to take upon himself all the weakness of fallen humanity. For he endured blistered feet after a long day's journey. His belly grumbled when he hadn't eaten enough. His lips got dry and cracked when he was thirsty. When he got to the end of a long day, his eyes were heavy with sleep. When his friend died, his eyes were filled with tears. And when he was confronted with sin, he was tempted. He was tempted to test the Father's care for him. He was tempted to rule the world through dominance. He was tempted to turn away from the cross. The book of Hebrews tells us that Jesus was tempted in every way that we are. And yet, He was without sin. You see, Christ took on human flesh and He suffered in that flesh. And the third thing we see in this phrase is that Jesus Christ died in the flesh. Peter is building upon a statement that he made just a few verses up in chapter 3, verse 18. We were there a few weeks ago. If you look up just a few verses, you read this. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that He might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the Spirit. You see, ultimately, when Peter uses the phrase, Christ suffered in the flesh, he is pointing to the whole life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. 
The cross is the ultimate expression of Christ's suffering in the flesh. Our brother took on our curse and he paid our penalty for our sin. The righteous for the unrighteous. And since therefore Christ suffered in the flesh, sin has been overcome. Our brother endured all the hardships, all the temptations that we endure in this flesh that we have, yet he never gave in to sin. And then he went to the cross and he suffered the punishment that we deserve so that we might be free from the power of sin. If you would see sin defeated in your life, you must begin by knowing this truth Christ, united to us, suffered in the flesh. That is, you must know He joined Himself to the human race that He might endure the curse of our sin on our behalf and defeat it for us. However, Peter doesn't just leave us with facts that are to be known. Rather, he encourages every Christian to move forward to trust in this knowledge. That is, to move from knowing facts to believing truth. When you go into a battle as a soldier, you must trust your fellow soldiers to do their duty. You must trust your commanding officers to lead with wisdom. You must trust that you have the right equipment that will work in a right strategy to prevail. And in the battle that we face against sin, we must trust that Christ's suffering in the flesh is the only weapon that will defeat the power of sin. Look again at verse 1 as it progresses in its thought. It says, Since therefore Christ suffered in the flesh, with that foundational truth laid, what are we to do? He says, Arm yourselves, that is, take up this weapon, arm yourselves with the same way of thinking. You see, sin is not a habit to be amended. It is an enemy to be defeated. Sin is a curse that must be eliminated. We are going into a battle where so much more than our earthly lives are at stake For what is at stake is paradise or perdition, heaven or hell. And what Peter is saying is that to win this battle over sin, we must be armed with trust and the power of Christ's suffering in the flesh. We must take up this weapon and this weapon alone. You see, this is what Peter is saying to us. If we would see sin defeated, we must trust in the work of Jesus Christ to defeat sin for us. We must trust that He obeyed to give us righteousness and that He died to take our sin away. Arming yourself with the cross means trusting Him to take away the guilt of sin. Do you trust the cross of Jesus to be the answer to sin's guilt? Now I know that Those who have gathered here over the years have heard that Jesus died on the cross to pay the penalty of sin. This is a message that you have heard over and over again. But I am asking you something different than just do you know this. I am asking do you trust this? 
Do you trust that on the cross your guilt before the Almighty God and Judge of the world was erased? Do you believe that because Christ suffered in the flesh, you will not suffer the wrath of God? Do you believe and do you trust that you have been accepted as forgiven? That you have been washed clean? That you are pure and spotless before God? When the guilt of sin comes rushing in, how do you fight that battle? What weapon do you trust? Do you make excuse for your sin? Do you make a defense for yourself? Or do you make a beeline for the cross? Do you take up the weapon of the cross and trust it alone to defeat the guilt of sin? When the enemy says, you're a liar. When he says, you're an adulterer. You're a pervert. When he says, you're a horrible parent. When he points out that you are so lazy and negligent in your service and worship to God. You can either accept this condemnation and say, yeah, I'm a sinner. You can ignore this condemnation and say, you know, it's not that big of a deal. You can excuse the condemnation and say, you know, it's not my fault. Or you can crucify it and say, there is therefore no condemnation for those who are in Jesus Christ. In your fight against sin, arm yourself, soldier, with nothing but the gospel of Jesus Christ. But it is not just the guilt of sin that must be defeated by the gospel. It is the practice of sin as well. For it is through the power of the cross that we fight the day-to-day battle to follow Jesus Christ. It is the cross where we have the power to resist the temptations of the flesh. That is to fight back the suggestions of the enemy. To put an end to the earthly patterns of life. You see, our union with Christ means that His death becomes our death. And that His life becomes our life. This is what Paul means when he says in Galatians 2, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life that I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave Himself for me. If you trust in Christ, if you arm yourself with the Gospel, then you have a weapon that can defeat the tempter's power at every turn. And just as the guilt of sin is expelled by the gospel, so too is the practice of sin. So how do you fight against sin in your life? How do you fight against anger and fear? How do you fight against pride and lust? How do you curb your disobedience against God? How do you struggle against the love of money? Do you fight with programs and plans? Do you set your will towards reforming your behavior, placing your trust in your ability to overcome sin? Do you go back to the letter of the law thinking that you began with the Spirit, but now it's according to the law that you must be perfected? Or do you arm yourself with the truth that Christ came in the flesh, that He overcame every temptation that you are faced with and that He went to the cross and died to defeat both the curse and the power of sin in your life. 
You see, to overcome the power of sin, you must continually return to this truth. Christ suffered in the flesh. To overcome the power of sin, we must know that Christ suffered in the flesh. To overcome the power of sin, we must arm ourselves against sin by trusting that Christ suffered in the flesh. And the third thing that we see is that to overcome sin, we must personally suffer in the flesh. Look at the whole of verse 1 now, giving special attention to that last phrase. It says, Since therefore Christ suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves with the same way of thinking. For whoever has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin. Now, the apparent meaning of this verse seems to run counter to much of what we know of the Christian life. Right? At a quick glance, without any context, it seems that Peter is saying that those who suffer in the flesh will no longer sin. If you've gone through some hardship, if you've been persecuted for Jesus Christ, then that means that you will stop sinning. Yet this does not comport with Scripture nor with experience. For Scripture teaches us, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. Scripture does not teach that while we continue to live in the flesh, that we will ever be free from sin. And experience reveals that even those who have suffered for the sake of Christ continue to struggle with sin. This past week, Pastor Eubank and I went to the General Assembly of the EPC in Denver, Colorado. And there we heard missionary Andrew Brunson share his experience of being arrested and held in a Turkish prison for two years because of his faith in Christ. He was treated inhumanely. He was isolated for long periods of time. He was underfed and he was falsely accused. He truly suffered in the flesh. And I think that we might have naive ideas of what his spiritual experience was like. We might think something along the lines, wow, you know, you could really go deep in prayer and Bible study with all that free time. We might think that his suffering for Christ would have brought him great spiritual comfort and joy. I'm suffering for Christ. But Reverend Brunson was very honest. His suffering actually caused him to despair. It caused him to become suicidal. His suffering tested his faith. It didn't remove his sin. Rather, by his own testimony, his suffering revealed his sin. And I think that anyone who has suffered greatly in this life can attest to this experience. It's called suffering for a reason. And I think that we often try to remove sin from our lives through suffering. We think that if I suffer enough, we think that we can end sin. But suffering, personal suffering, is not the tool that ends sin. For suffering doesn't purge sin, it reveals it. And therefore, it reveals your greater need for Christ. 
So what then does Peter mean when he says, whoever has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin? Well, first we see that Peter is not referring to an ongoing experience. The grammar of the text tells us that the phrase has suffered, you see that has suffered, is speaking of a past definitive event, something that is over now. Next, we must be aware of the context of how this phrase, suffer in the flesh, has already been employed by Peter to refer to the death of Jesus Christ upon the cross. And third, to understand this phrase, we need to understand the union that exists between Christ and those who trust in Him. The rest of the Bible, we read phrases like, We have been crucified with Christ. We have died with Christ. We've been buried with Christ. We've been raised with Christ. We are presently seated with Christ in the heavenly places. What Christ has accomplished, we have accomplished. And when each of these elements come together, a definitive past event the cross of Christ and our union with Christ, what we realize is that Peter is saying all Christians through their union with Christ in His death on the cross have already personally died to sin. Because Christ suffered in the flesh, we too have suffered in the flesh in such a way that sin has been defeated. And because Christ has defeated sin, we too have victory over sin. This is how Paul explains the same truth. We know that our old self was crucified with Him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. How do we cease from sin? How are we set free from sin? Not through what we have suffered, but through what Christ has suffered. We're not freed from sin through our punishment, but through Christ's punishment. By virtue of our union with Christ in His death on the cross, all Christians have definitively suffered in the flesh, and all Christians have been given freedom from sin. And while we remain in the flesh, we must continually fight sin. We will not be free from its influence until we have left off this body of flesh. So how do we fight it now? We arm ourselves with the weapon, not of self-punishment, but with the truth that in our union with Christ, we have suffered in the flesh and have died to the power of sin. And while you currently fight, you fight with the knowledge that all who are in union union with Christ through trust in His work have ceased from sin. On October 25th, 1854, the orders of British commander Lord Raglan were misunderstood. You see, he had intended the British Light Brigade to play a supportive role in the battle against the Russian artillery stronghold. 
However, a miscommunication in the chain of command led to one of the greatest massacres in British military history, the charge of the Light Brigade. This cavalry unit made a direct charge on the Russian artillery stronghold. They rode across the battlefield on horseback as the Russians bombarded them with grape shot and shell bursts from three sides. It was truly a valley of death for the British. A war correspondent who witnessed the battle wrote, Our light brigade was annihilated by their own rashness and by the brutality of a ferocious enemy. This battle inspired poet Alfred Lord Tennyson to write the famous poem, The Charge of the Light Brigade. These words, cannon to the right of them, cannon to the left of them, cannon in front of them, volleyed and thundered, stormed with shot and shell. Boldly they rode and well into the jaws of death, into the mouth of hell rode the six hundred. And many of us rashly run into battle against an enemy that is more brutal and more ferocious even than a Russian artillery. We rush into the valley of death on horseback surrounded by shell and shot. For when we seek to battle sin without arming ourselves with the cross of Jesus Christ, we will fail. We are outgunned. Our enemy is too cunning. And too powerful. But when we lay down legalism, when we lay down self-defense, when we lay down self-punishment and take up in faith the cross of Christ, then we will see our enemy defeated and sin come to an end in our lives. This is how you fight sin. This is how you overcome it. When the temptations of the flesh begin to come against you, you proclaim your union with Christ in His death and resurrection. You say, I have been crucified with Christ. You say, the body of sin has been brought to nothing. You proclaim, I have died and therefore have been set free from sin. You say, I know I deserve to suffer in the flesh, but because Christ suffered in the flesh, I too have personally suffered and am free from sin. Power. That is the weapon that we must take up. That is the weapon that we need. For our enemy is ferocious, but the power of the cross is greater. And so, in faith, Christian, each day, take up the cross. Arm yourself with the gospel. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Let us now call out to the Lord, asking Him to apply what we have heard in His Word. Father God, we come to You now in this time and to trust the cross of Jesus Christ with this battle is something that we know we cannot do on our own. For in the flesh we are blind to spiritual truth. And so we pray, open up our eyes. Let us see Christ. Let us see Him as our weapon that will defeat sin. Lord Jesus, we thank You that You came in the flesh, that You fought the battle on our behalf, and that by the power of Your resurrection, we see that sin and death have been defeated. 
May we ever trust in You. May we walk this day forward in the power of the cross. We pray in Your holy name, Lord Jesus. Amen.